Amen. Thank you, Mike, for leading us in worship through the word and prayer. And thanks, worship team. Good morning, church. It's great to see you all here. If you're visiting with us, especially glad to, to have you. Uh, we are going to be uh, in the passage that were read this morning, uh, starting in Matthew and then going to the Gospel of Mark, and then we'll end up in 2 Corinthians. If you want to go ahead and, and turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6. Uh, continuing this series, worship is allowing the scriptures to define for us what worship is, and then uh, learning together how worship really encompasses all of life. Um, that worship is so much more than just the songs that we sing um, or this time together, although worship happens in this time together through and in the songs we sing, it is so much more than that. And last week we looked at the role of God's word in worship. God's word leads us into worship. God's word shows us how God desires to be worshiped. And even in our worship, there's this aspect of obedience where we are honoring the Lord with these inward affections, with our outward outward actions. And so I want to start with just a, a quick uh, reminder of, of the definition that, that I've been using for this series, that worship happens when our inward affections for God align with our right thinking about God and then become expressed in our obedient actions toward God. It's not enough just to have inward feelings towards God. Um, it's not enough just to have right thinking about God and who he is. And it's not enough just to run the play in obedience and just do the thing you know he's called you to do without these inward affections and this right thinking. So it's so much more um, than just this idea of like, I feel a certain way about God. It's more than I think a certain way about God, and it's more than I'm living my life in obedience towards God. It's when all three of these things come together. And so we're going to talk today about the role of prayer in worship. And I just want to start with, although there are like a lot of different ways that we pray, a lot of different types of prayers we pray, we can pray prayers of um, gratitude and thankfulness, we can pray prayers of praise, we can pray prayers of grief. We can pray prayers um, asking for what we need or what we want and all these different ways that we can pray. Really, there's two kind of camps or fields of thought around prayer. And I'm just going to kind of rip the Band-Aid off right here at the beginning. There are two different, very different views about prayer, depending on what your church experience is, what your background is, um, how you were taught to pray. One is this, that prayer is your personal tool uh, to get what you want from God. That, that, that's one way that prayer is taught in the church, in certain circles. Um, and in this type of prayer, our needs and our wants are central to God's favor. I have God's favor because he's given me what I want. And then when we don't get what we ask for, the conclusion is one of two things. Either I haven't had enough faith or I haven't been good enough. Okay, that's one field of thought um, around prayer. It's our personal tool to get what we want from God. There's a, a whole different camp or different field of thought around prayer. It goes like this. Prayer is the means by which we speak to God and commune with Him. Prayer is the means by which we speak to God and we commune or spend time with him 
This kind of prayer is God-focused. My needs and wants are present, but not central. God's favor um, is based on what he says about me, not whether or not he does what I ask him to do. And then when we don't get what we ask for, it moves us to this place of trusting that God's ways are not our ways, and his wisdom is higher than our wisdom. And he actually knows what is best for me. Two different fields of thought. So the first thing we're going to do today is we're going to ask the question, what is the biblical view on prayer? And we can see examples of what I just described for you in different denominations and churches, but how does the Bible prescribe prayer to us? And I think there's no better place to go than Jesus' teaching on prayer. He actually says, pray like this. And this is not like uh, pre-K, um, here's how you get started praying with training wheels. This is like varsity prayer, pray like this. So in Matthew 6, starting in verse 7, he says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. They're going to impress God with their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him, which is going to come up a little bit later this morning. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed, hallowed be your name. The first thing that Jesus teaches us here is interesting because it actually takes us back to last week. That there's a certain way that God wants us to treat his name. You guys remember from the Ten Commandments, last week, Exodus 20. Have no other gods before me, before my face. Don't carve images and bow down and worship them. And oh, don't take my name in vain, which we talked about and defined that as either empty or false. And so Jesus is teaching us how to pray consistent with how God has taught us how to worship. We identify who it is that we're praying to. Father, hallowed be thy name. And that additional phrase really is an expression of worship set apart is your name other than is your name higher than high is your name bigger than anything i could imagine is your name and so right off the bat we've got worship in prayer father who is in heaven our father in heaven hallowed be your name The second thing that we see here in verse 10 is this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus teaches us to pray in submission to God's will. So it's this act of worship. We're identifying who it is, our Father in heaven. We're not taking his name in vain. We're saying set apart is your name, hallowed be your name. And we're expressing this idea that God, I desire to submit to you. I'm acknowledging your ways are above mine. Your wisdom is above mine. And I want your will to be done in my life through this prayer the same way your will is done in heaven. And then in verse 11, he moves on to asking, give us, here's what we want. Three things, give us this day our daily bread. We need daily provision. God, I'm looking to you to provide what I need. I'm looking to you to provide what my children need. 
I'm looking to you to provide what, what I need at work this week. Give us this day our daily bread, our daily provision, and forgive us our debts or sins or transgressions. Forgive us as we also then bend that forgiveness out towards one another. God, I need your grace. I know I've asked for that before, but I need it again. Forgive me, forgive us. As we do what? As we forgive one another. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus is teaching us to ask for what we desire. Now, I, I like the word desire for a couple of reasons. It includes need and want, and we often don't know the difference. Oftentimes, what I think I need is actually what I want. And there are oftentimes things I don't even want that I actually need. And so this idea of desire is that we were born with desires. Because of our sin nature, we can't trust every desire. So sometimes we want things that aren't good for us. You ever wanted something that wasn't good for you? There's a good chance you're probably desiring something right now. And there's a reason why God hasn't given it. And so... I like this word desire because it leaves room for us to desire good things, to want good things, to pray for good things, to ask for good things, but our desires need to be checked. And so there's a a way of thinking about this. There's a slide we put together just to kind of illustrate what I believe Jesus is teaching is biblical prayer. It begins with who God is. That's the center, not my needs. It's the center. And there's also an element of what God desires. It's a submission to his will. Your will be done. What you desire, I want. And it also includes what we desire. You see how that works? It's like God's not saying, well, just because I have a will and just because I know what you need before you ask, don't bring me your needs. Jesus is actually teaching you and me, bring your needs, bring your wants, bring your desires in submission to what God desires underneath this banner of exalting God for who he is. What a beautiful way to think of prayer as worship and to see this model for biblical prayer. What we're going to do now is we're going to look at two examples of prayer. Uh, One is with Jesus, one is with the Apostle Paul. And we're going to see how this biblical example and this biblical teaching of prayer plays out in some real-life situations. So the first one is going to be in Mark 14. Uh, This is uh, the night that Jesus is arrested. It's a really intense time in the life and ministry of Jesus. He's just celebrated Passover with his disciples. They broke bread. They drank from the cup. And he's like, hey, guys, this is my body, which is going to be broken for you. This this cup is my blood of the covenant, which is going to be poured out. It's a pretty intense conversation. You can imagine what's going on in the upper room as they're celebrating communion and then there's a betrayer and Jesus dismisses him and he goes to get the officials to come back and arrest Jesus and before he does Jesus takes the remaining disciples out into the garden then he takes with him three to go out and to pray and this is Mark 14 verse 32 and they went to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples sit here while I pray. I just want to point something out here. This would not have been a normal time or place to go pray. This is a prayer that is 
inspired or invoked by circumstance okay so it's not like Sunday morning elder prayer before the sermon that's that's a fabulous time to pray but that's like a a regular time to pray something's going on that is compelling Jesus to pray late at night out in the garden he says disciples sit here while I pray something was going on We're going to see something was actually going on outside of him and something was going on inside of him. Verse 33, and he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. The word distressed means to be alarmed or thrown into terror. Jesus is feeling what's coming. He was distressed and troubled. This is the idea of being really heavy. Just felt really, really weighty. As he thought about what was about to happen, he's going to be betrayed by Judas. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be accused, falsely tried, sentenced to to suffering, torture, death. And that was heavy. (laughs) You go, yeah, that makes sense. Like, that's really heavy. And so this is what's going on inside of Jesus he's distressed and troubled and he said to them my soul is very sorrowful overwhelmed with great grief or great sorrow even to death even to like I feel like so heavy right now I feel like almost crushed to the point of death remain here and watch and so this is what was going on in Jesus Now he's about to address God in prayer. So now that we know what's going on inside of him, we know that what's going on outside of him is this betrayal and about to be an arrest. Look at verse 35. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed. Now, I don't know that Jesus had the Lord's Prayer on his mind. I don't know that he was thinking, man, I taught him to pray this way. I mean, to make sure I pray that way. I think what Jesus was teaching is also what Jesus practices, and I think it's super clear here. This is how you pray. I said earlier, varsity prayer, son of God, savior prayer. He falls on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, Our Father who is in heaven. All things are possible for you. What an expression of worship. All things are possible for you. There's nothing I could ask for that you can't do. That's how amazing you are. You can do all those things and you're my dad. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you and here's what he asks for remove this cup from me that's what I desire this is Jesus the son of God fully God fully human right now in his humanity he's feeling the weight 
in the distress of what's about to come. And so he shows us what to do with our weight, our distress, our grief, our sorrow. We take it to God in prayer. We say, God, this is what I desire. I don't know if it's what I need. It's just what I want right now. If it's possible, take this cup from me. Yet, here it comes. Not what I will, not what I want, not what I desire, but instead what? What you will, what you desire, what you know to be best. And here Jesus models the prayer he taught. Dad, all things are possible. Here's what I want for you to take this cup of suffering, yet I'm going to submit these desires to you. And here's what's really interesting. Mark tells us, matter of fact, if you look at verse 39, and again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. He actually looks like he prays this prayer three times, the same words. And so my question, I have lots of questions. Wait, son of God, he, he already knows what's about to happen because he just told the disciples in the upper room what's about to happen. His father in heaven knows what he needs before he asks, and he knows that, he taught us that. And yet, he's asking for something in submission to God's will, not once, not twice, three times. This is super helpful for us. Jesus expressed what he wanted, but what he wanted was not central in his prayer. You see that? The will of the Father was central. The identity of the Father was central. Here's what I take from this example. Prayer is not (laughs) only about getting God to change something external, but it's also about asking the Father to align something internal. I don't think Jesus was bringing his best sales pitch to the Father. Come on, change it. That didn't work? All right, you guys pray with me again. Here I go again. Hey, come on, God, please change it. I think what was happening is he was showing us how when we pray, we bring our desires before the Father in submission, He aligns what's going on on the inside. He aligns our desires. He aligns our will to his. He's showing us that prayer shifts our trust from earthly things to God. Like it's pretty clear, Jesus was very aware of what was happening on earth, what was about to happen to his body. And he's shifting his trust to his Father. He's showing us how to shift our trust. He's also showing us how to reposture our hearts from trusting in idols to worshiping the one true God. Now, keep in mind, this is the Son of God. He's not worshiping idols, and he's not trusting in earthly things. He's modeling for us, though, because we do that. This is what God told us last week. Hey, don't bring, don't bring any other gods before me and don't carve things out, 
you know, of like gold and wood, things that you can control with your own hands and then bow down to them and pray to them. Like God knows we are prone to do that. And here Jesus is modeling for us how prayer repostures our hearts from trusting in idols and earthly things to worshiping the one true God and trusting in him. Prayer isn't the means to getting what I want from God. Prayer is my means to get God. Prayer is not my means to get what I want from God. Prayer is my means to get God. I was visiting uh, last year with a friend. We were sitting on a porch, and he was just sharing part of a hard part of his story with me that I had never heard. And he was talking about this really hard divorce that he went through several years ago, and. He was of the mind of like, I'm going to beg God to save this marriage. I'm going to beg God to fix this marriage. I'm going to beg God. Went to multiple different marriage counselings, marriage counselors, ministry in the church, outside the church. I mean, he's working it. He's begging God. He's trying to do his part. And then he just shared at the very end how he didn't get what he asked for. And initially, he didn't know what to do with that. Like, wait. I'm asking for what I think you want and I'm begging you for it. I'm praying for it. And I'm participating and I'm walking in faith. And his conclusion was, after weeks and weeks and months and months, was that God didn't give me what I asked for, but he actually gave me something better. He gave me himself. Doesn't mean that God's not a fan of marriage. Doesn't mean that God's saying, hey, don't ask for me to fix your marriage no keep begging for that stuff the way jesus begged like keep bringing it to the father fix this situation the point is prayer is not our means to control god or get him to to do what we want prayer is our means to god and here's what you need to hear whether you get what you're asking for or not you always get him sometimes he answers, and your desires align with his desires. Your will aligns with his will, and he gives you what you're asking for. What do you do with that? Praise him. Don't give yourself credit. Well, it's because I had a lot of faith. Look at me. Try that next time and let me, let me know how it works out. It's not because you're God's favorite. It's because your inward desires aligned with his and he moved and acted, and you can see it. It's fantastic. But the point isn't that he did the thing. The point is you get him. You go, oh, my father hears me. Oh, my father sees me. And sometimes you don't get what you ask for, but you always get him. Prayer doesn't have to change the things that we can see to be supernatural. All prayer is supernatural. Now, not everything that we call prayer is prayer. All prayer, meaning all biblical prayer, is supernatural. Prayer is that place in your life and in the universe where the finite gets to commune with the infinite. Where those of us who are limited and fallen 
get to experience the presence of He who is holy and righteous. All prayer is supernatural. God does not have to do the thing I asked Him to do for it to be supernatural. Prayer is the consistent place where I can meet with God and He shows up without failing. I don't have to summon Him to show up or beg Him to show up or hope that He shows up. When I pray, He listens. When I pray, he shows up, and when I pray, I encounter his presence. I want to stop here and just pull you know, this teaching on prayer into this same illustration we've been using in this series, and I've changed it up a little bit. I told you last week, like it, it felt too much like a, a cause and effect uh, linear equation, but this is really what we're seeing here. We bring our deepest needs into God's presence. He refines our desires and aligns our desires with his desires. Oftentimes, we don't know what we need until we encounter his presence. And out of that flows this gratitude and love and obedience and and worship. This isn't a chain reaction of things. This is what's being kind of portrayed to us in the scriptures as biblical worship. We talked about last week how sometimes out of our worship flows obedience, but worship itself is an act of obedience because God said, hey, worship like this when you worship me. And when we worship God the way he tells us to worship him, that alone is an act of obedience. So now we're going to go to 2 Corinthians 7. We're going to see another example. The Apostle Paul. I'm going to start in verse, so 2 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 7. It's really interesting. I want to pay attention to what's going on inside of Paul the same way we looked at what was going on inside of Jesus. Jesus was troubled and distressed and had great sorrow. Here, Paul's telling a story, and it's actually already happened, so he's kind of speaking in past tense. He says this, so to keep me from becoming conceited, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. That word shows up twice. So God was working powerfully in Paul's life. Paul recognizes now in hindsight that there was this this tendency or this temptation to become conceited conceited the word here conceited means to exalt self or to worship self so God working powerfully in Paul's life there was this tendency and temptation for Paul what was going on inside of him for his worship to shift to self we don't know what the thorn was Um, was this some kind of physical ailment was this a an emotional struggle? Was this a, a sinful temptation? I think that the, the best evidence we have is that he chose something as a metaphor or as an illustration of suffering. If you've ever had a thorn in your flesh, can't just ignore that. And the longer it stays, the worse it gets. And what begins as just a little thorn in the flesh can essentially kill you. 
if it stays there long enough and gets infected enough and it gets incredibly painful. And so whatever it was in Paul's life, he's calling it a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan. And that was given to him to keep him from worshiping self or exalting self. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. How many times? Three times. I fall in the pattern of my Savior. Three times I begged God, please take this thorn away. I pleaded with him. Three times I begged him that this thorn should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Did the Father do the thing that Jesus asked in the garden? Did he take the cup of suffering away? He didn't. Did Jesus answer Paul's prayer and take the thorn away? He didn't. But what he gave him was better. He gave Paul himself. Paul, I'm going to be enough for you in this one. I'm going to leave you in this weakness, in this suffering, and my grace, you're about to taste how good my grace is because my grace will be enough for you in this one. You see how God and his will and his desires is central and what Paul is asking for is outside of that. Jesus didn't get on to Paul and say, why are you asking me for this? You already asked me once and I didn't do it. No, Jesus didn't do that. He didn't say, hey, quit praying, Paul. Quit asking for things. He just simply said, hey, Paul, in this one, please keep asking for things. Please keep bringing your desires to me. Please keep bringing your will to mine and submitting it to my will. But in this one, my grace will be enough for you. That's my answer. What I love about this is Paul stopped to listen. Kind of feel that in Jesus' prayer as well. He stopped to listen. Prayer is not a one-way street where you just get things off your chest, ah, feel better and walk away. You listen. This is where we commune. You're experiencing the supernatural you're praying, you're exalting, you're worshiping, you're begging, you're pleading. And then, if you'll stop to listen, if I'll stop to listen, God will speak back. And sometimes it's the voice of the Holy Spirit, and sometimes it's through His Word, other times it's through all of that, and then through a brother or sister in Christ. But prayer is communing. It's spending time with. It's not like typing an email and sending it. That's not communing. 
It's taking everything you want to say in the email into the presence of the one who you want to hear it, and then you just saying it, and then you let them respond. It's communing. Look at where this ends here in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, (laughs) I will boast. Something changed inside of Paul. Now, he was boasting before, or he was at least tempted to boast. In what? Exalting himself. Circumstance in his life, his heart needed to be aligned with the heart of the Father instead of exalting self, and he begs, and it doesn't happen, and God says, hey, I'm going to give you my grace here, and now look, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That's a different perspective on the power of Christ than I pray to get him to do stuff. I love when his power shows up in my life and he does the thing I want him to do, but Paul's not saying that. He's like, no, the power of Christ just rested on me, landed on me. I am content. I'm boasting all the more gladly in weaknesses, and I am content with weaknesses insults hardships persecutions and calamities for when i am weak then i am strong when i am weak god does a powerful work inside of me when i bring that weakness to god and i beg him and i pray and i plead change it instead of doing the thing external god does a thing internal prayer is not only about getting God to change something external in our lives. It's also about asking the Father to align something internal in our hearts. It's a scary thing to, to hold a desire loosely. Isn't it? It's scary. Here's what I want. It's what I believe I need. I desire it. But if I bring it before the Father in prayer, He's saying, hey, bring it to me. Just, just hold it loosely. Trust me with that thing. Let let me have that thing. And then let me put back in your hand what you actually need. Whether we get what we're asking for, we always get God. All prayer is supernatural. When we pray, it shifts our trust from earthly things to God and repostures our hearts from trusting in idols to worshiping the one true God. I see this way of praying, I think, man, there's not a lot of difference between worship and prayer. Like those two things are hand in hand. Very often, worship is my prayer, and very often, my prayer is my worship. And so I no longer think of these as two different spiritual disciplines, but like almost two sides of the same coin when I pray biblically, when I pray the way Jesus teaches us how to pray. So I want to end with just some questions for reflection for you to think about how God's word has spoken to you today. I want you to think about how Jesus' Matthew 6 prayer 
our Father who is in heaven. But you think about that, how that prayer should shape or change the way you pray. If you were to think about your daily, weekly, circumstantial prayers, how should Jesus' Matthew 6 model for prayer shape or change the way you currently pray? And then this question is, do you consider your prayers to be an act of worship? Are you engaging in worship when you pray? Or are you just typing out your mental thoughts and sending them off in an email to God? What are you asking God for right now that he hasn't given to you yet? Do you have any of these prayers like Jesus and Paul? Like you're asking for the same thing again and again? Well, hey, God's not annoyed with you. And it's not because you're not good enough yet. Just clean your life up a little bit more, then ask again. Your father's saying, hey, ask me, bring that to me. Hold it loosely, then submit your desires to my desires and just see what happens. See what I might do. How has God drawn you close to himself in prayer? So instead of just doing the thing you're asking for, have you encountered the nearness of God in prayer? Can you think of a time where you pray and you're like, man, I just enjoy being near to God. How often do you stop to listen in prayer? Asking this question, God, what do you want to say to me right now? You've listened. You've heard. You see the situation. What is it you want to say back and then just listen? Have you ever given God that space in your prayer time? I want to take a time to pray with you as an act of worship. And I want to pray um, after the pattern that Jesus lays out for us. I want to pray it over us. And then our worship team is going to come back out. And they're going to lead us in worship through singing. And I want to encourage you to allow the songs, the words you sing, to also be your prayers. And I want to encourage you to let your prayers also be your worship. If you want somebody to pray with you today, you've got something going on, um, our prayer partners will come down front here in just a few minutes. There'll be some over here on that side and some on that side. Um, our elders and pastors will be out in the commons area. be honored to talk with you, answer questions, and pray for you. Um, I just want to take some time right now to pray the way Jesus taught us to pray and then let the worship team come out and just lead us in a time of singing and praying together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, you are a mighty God and a good Father. You are everlasting. You come before us. You will be after us. You are all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful. All things are possible for you. God, everybody in this room is going through something right now that we want to change. And many of us have begged you to change it, not just once or twice or three times, but some of us a hundred times. So God, now we want to 
lay those petitions before you. We wanna lay those requests before you. We wanna lay those desires before you and say that we trust you. You are good. Even in the hard stuff, you are good. Even when you don't do the thing we ask for, you are good. So, Father, we submit our prayers to you with open hands. Father, now as we move into a time of singing, we want to encounter your presence. We don't just want you to change things outside of us. We want you to change things inside of us. Father, would you do that work now as we sing? We pray in Jesus' name.